Yes, the Smashing Pumpkins there with I Am One. And welcome to the Riff Monkeys podcast number 23 with me, Brian Wells. And today we're talking about, yes, the Smashing Pumpkins. Um, Who are the Smashing Pumpkins? Well, they're an American alternative rock band from Chicago, Illinois, formed around 1988 uh, by Billy Corgan, frontman, lead vocals and guitar. Darcy Retzky on bass, James Eha on guitar, and Jimmy Chamberlain on drums. Uh, although the band has undergone many lineup changes, which we'll get into later on. Um, the current lineup is Billy Corgan, Jimmy Chamberlain, James Eha, and guitarist Jeff Schroeder. Now, around the time, the uh, late 80s, there was a lot of grunge bands, a lot of alternative rock bands around um, that usually were, I think they were mainly influenced by punk by punk rock but um the pumpkins were more influenced by gothic by goth rock you know and uh bands like the cure uh joy division and you can tell by their you know by their influences um so but they have a very diverse densely layered guitar heavy sound containing um you know gothic rock heavy metal psychedelic rock prog rock shoegazing and electronica in their later recordings um Billy Corgan is the group's primary songwriter, and he's an absolute genius. Um, his musical ambitions and cathartic lyrics have shaped the band's albums and songs, which uh, have been described as anguished, bruised reports from Billy Corgan's nightmare land. You know? A um, little bit of backstory. After the breakup of his gothic rock band, The Marked, um, singer and guitarist Billy Corgan left St. Petersburg, Florida, to return to his native city of Chicago, where he took a job in a record store and formed the idea of a new band called the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, while he worked there, he met a guitarist named James Ea, of Japanese descent, adorning themselves with Paisley and other psychedelic trappings. The two started writing songs together with the aid of a drum machine. Um, they were heavily influenced by The Cure and New Order, who Billy Corgan later went on to sing with. The duo performed live for the first time in July 9th, 1988 at the Polish Bar Chicago. Uh, this performance included only Corgan on the bass and E.O. on the guitar with a drum machine. But shortly thereafter, Corgan met Darcy Retzky after the show by the Dan Reed Network, uh, where they argued the merits of the band. And finding out Retzky played the bass guitar, Corgan recruited her into the lineup. And the trio played a show at the Avalon Nightclub. And after the show, Cabaret Metro owner Joe Shanahan agreed to book the band on the condition that they replaced the drum machine with a live drummer. In steps jazz drummer Jimmy Chamberlain, uh, was recommended by a friend of Billy's. Chamberlain knew little of alternative music and immediately changed the sound of the nascent band. And as Corgan recalled in the, of the period, um, we were completely into the sad rock cure kind of thing. It took about two or three practices before I realised that the power of his playing was something that enabled us to rock harder than we could ever imagine. And on October the 5th, 1988, the complete band took the stage for the first time at the Cabaret Metro. Now, in 1989, the Smashing Pumpkins made their first appearance on record with a compilation album, Light Into Dark, which featured several Chicago alternative rock bands. And uh, the group released its first single, which is the song I just played, I Am One, um, in 1990 on local Chicago label Limited Potential. Um, the single sold out and they released a follow-up, Tristessa, which I'm going to play for you now. Are you lucky? And that was on Sub Pop Records, the same label as Nirvana.
Tristessa there on Sub Pop Records by Smashing Pumpkins. Um, after they made that with Sub Pop, um, they signed to Caroline Records and the band recorded their first album, Gish, in 1991 with the legendary producer Butch Vig uh, at his smart studios in Madison, Wisconsin for uh, 20 grand, $20,000. Um, in order to, to, well, this is the thing, Billy Corgan is such a musical genius that in order to get consistency in everything that he wanted on the record he played everything apart from the drums um and that inevitably and you know why wouldn't it created tension in the band a lot of uh, arguments going on you know it's got to be a bit you know demeaning isn't it? you can't play on the record but you can play live um but you know the album was uh incredible it fused heavy metal guitars psychedelia dream pop and it, um, people compared it to Jane's Addiction, which definitely I can see the comparison. Jane's Addiction are amazing, and I'll do a show on them later on. I mean, oh, great. Um, but, you know, Gish became a minor success. Um, the single Rhinoceros, which I'm going to play for you in a minute, um, received some airplay on Modern Rock Radio, and after releasing the Lull EP in October 91 on Carolina Records, the band formally signed with Virgin Records, which uh, was affiliated with Caroline anyway. Uh, the band supported the album with a tour that included opening for bands such as the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Jane's Addiction, that must have been a great gig, um, and Guns N' Roses. And during the tour, Iha and Retsky went through a nasty, uh, like a messy breakup because they were together. And that's a whole, I didn't really want to go into all of that, it's very messy. Um, Chamberlain, the drummer, became addicted to various narcotics and alcohol, and Billy Corgan entered into a deep depression. So it was quite a heavy album, I think. Um, he wrote um, most of the songs for the next album in the parking garage where he lived you know depressed um, wow amazing so I'm going to play Rhinoceros now and we're going to move on to the next album uh, Siamese Dream
Rhinoceros there by the Smashing Pumpkins from their first album, Gish. So moving on to 1992 and with the breakthrough of, I remember remember it well, of alternative rock or grunge um, with bands such as Nirvana and Pearl Jam. um, The Smashing Pumpkins were very much poised for major, major success. And at the time, um, you know, Smashing Pumpkins were always lumped with the grunge movement and um with billy corgan being outspoken about it uh quoted as saying we've graduated now from the next jane's addiction to the next nirvana and now we're the next pearl jam um but amid this environment of intense internal pressure for the band to break through to widespread popularity the band relocated to marietta georgia in the late in late 92 to begin work on their second album with butch vig again returning as producer um the decision to record so far away from the hometown was motivated partly by the band's desire to avoid friends and distractions during the recording and uh, drug dealers. But largely as a desperate attempt to cut Chamberlain off from his known connections. Uh, the recording environment of Siamese Dream was quickly marred with discord with the band, as, as was the case with Gish, because uh, Billy Corgan and Butch Vig decided that Corgan should play nearly all the guitar and bass parts on the album. Uh, con- contributing to an obvious air of resentment. Um, the contemporary music press began to portray Corgan as a bit of a tyrant, and Corgan's depression, meanwhile, had deepened to the point where he contemplated suicide, and uh, he compensated by practically living in the studio. Uh, meanwhile, Chamberlain quickly managed to find new connections and was often absent, absent for, uh, without any contact for days. Um, it took over four months to complete the record with a budget exceeding a quarter of a million dollars um, but despite all the problems in its recording Siamese Dream debuted at number 10 on the Billboard 200 charts and sold over 4 million copies in the US alone uh, alongside the band's mounting mainstream recognition the band's reputation as careerists among the former peers in the independent music community was worsened um, indie rock band Pavement uh, 1994 song Range Life directly mocks the band in its lyrics. Uh, although Stephen Malkmus, lead singer of Payment, has stated, uh, I never dissed their music, I just dissed their status. Um, former Huskadoo frontman Bob Mole called the group uh, the Grunge Monkeys. And fellow Chicago musician producer Steve Albini uh, wrote a scathing letter in response to an article pressed, uh, praising the band. Uh, derisively comparing them to REO Speedwagon by, of and for the mainstream and uh, concluding their ultimate insignificance I don't think that matters much the opening track and lead single of Siamese Dream is called Cherub Rock uh, which I'm going to play for you now Uh, and this directly addresses Corgan's feud with the indie world so check the lyrics Cherub Rock
Cherub Rock there from the album Siamese Dream. Definitely my favourite album. Um, I think there was their there was their commercial breakthrough. That was the that was what made them noticed. I mean, it was recorded between December 1992 and March 1993, uh, as I said before, in uh, Triclops Studios in Marietta, Georgia, by Butch Vig. Um, it was written. Most of the songs were written after. Billy Corgan had a nervous breakdown and he was visiting a therapist and consequently his lyrics became more explicit about his troubled past and his insecurities. Um, the next song I'm going to play is called Today and this is one of my absolute favourite songs. Um, it was the first song he wrote for this album. Uh, he, he played a demo to Butch Vig and received a positive reaction and soon afterwards executives from Virgin Records who came to the studio because of of all the problems, I mean, Butch Vigas reported to say that for you know a couple of hours they were just the band members were just screaming at each other. Um, but they played the uh, the demo and and they liked it, so uh, they didn't come back for until the you know until the album was was done. Um, but that reaction from the executives only served to put more stress on Corgan, um, and he just worked overtime practically, living in the studio for the whole recording of Siamese Dream. Um, you know, he's such a perfectionist. It's incredible. I mean, he, him and Butch Vig, the producer, would sometimes work on a 45-second section for two days, working 16-hour days for weeks at a time to achieve the sound that Corgan wanted. And as as myself, as a, as a music producer, um, you know, just the scope, the level that this guy works on, you know, the, the how specific that everything has to be so perfect is just inspiring because there's many people that just don't know what they want and you know and kind of wing it but that i mean it's just unbelievable uh, but his desire for musical perfection put a lot of strain on the uh relationship in the band um he would go in and he would listen to something that um you know say that darcy had recorded or or, or james and um and overdub it you know do it himself um you know uh so yeah that put a lot of strain on the band um um, because, you know, he, he just felt that was easier to do. It was uh, less takes, you know, he knew exactly what he wanted. Um, and stories of the album's recording had circulated in the music press and Corgan admitted there was some truth to the accusation, accusations of tyrannical behaviour, although he felt the press misunderstood the situation. I mean, you know, if you're not there. Um, you know, Jimmy Chamberlain performed all the drum parts, but he would disappear for days on end and people would be worried for his life. You know, he'd like disappear for three days. Uh, and after one incident where where he disappeared for two or three days, Corgan put the hammer down and according to Butch Vig, um, had Chamberlain perform the drum part for Cherub Rock, the song that you just heard, until his hands bled. Um, due to Corgan's urging, Chamberlain checked into a rehab clinic and got cleaned up for a while. Um, so, you know, yeah. Anyway, this is Today. This is the first song written and the second single from uh, Siamese Dream. This is an absolutely beautiful song. Check it out.
Today is the greatest day. That's an, I just love that song. I absolutely love it. Now, during the recording of this album, um, Billy Corgan was also going through his own personal problems. And he would later admit in an interview in 2011 that throughout the recording process, uh, he had been planning his own suicide, um, stating that he had gotten rid of most of his things and was fantasizing about his own death. Uh, he said, I started thinking what my funeral will be like and what music will be played. So you can, yeah, get an idea of the kind of things that were going on inside his head. I mean, unbelievable. Um, Virgin began to grow impatient with the album's recording as it went over budget and became behind schedule. Um, the band, however, would not let the company cut corners if it meant compromising the sound. Um, you know, something that you take so much time and care in doing, you're not going to skimp on it, you know. Um, by the time recording was completed, uh, Billy Corgan and Butch Vig felt too emotionally exhausted to mix the record. I completely understand. Um, Corgan suggested that engineer Alan Mulder mix the album due to his work on Loveless by My Bloody Valentine. Now, Mulder booked two weeks in the studio to mix the album, and the mix ended up taking 36 days to complete. You imagine that, after all that time recording it. and all the, Mind you, some of the, some of the um, songs reportedly had a hundred, up to 100 overlaid guitars on one song. Unbelievable. Um, Corgan suggested that uh, uh, Mulder you know do the mixing and i can completely understand it um eventually the album was finished after four months and two hundred and fifty thousand over budget um so i'm going to play now uh, a song called disarm this is the third single from siamese dream another absolutely cracking song i'm sure you'll agree
Absolutely beautiful. I mean, you have to play that really loud as well, or use your headphones. You know, oh, it's just so powerful. I went, I saw uh, the Smashing Pumpkins in the year two thousand at Wembley Arena, and it just they were just so so powerful. Incidentally, I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers a couple of weeks earlier in the same venue, and it was just it, I didn't like it at all. Maybe it's because I was too far away from them, but uh, they weren't. It wasn't a great gig, but the Smashing Pumpkins two weeks later just absolutely blew me away. Um, incredible. So let's move on now to 1995's Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Absolutely tremendous. Did I say the last album was my favourite? I think this one might be as well. I don't know. I, I do say that a lot though, don't I? But anyway, uh, 1995, um, Billy Corgan wrote 56 songs in 1995. 56 songs. I struggle to write two or three, mate. You know what I'm saying? Um, so with those songs, um, he went to stu- they went to the studio with producers Flood and Alan Mulder, who did the mixing on the last album, um, to work on what Billy Corgan described as the wall for Generation X. Uh, ambitious, but it worked. Um, it was a double album with 28 songs um, lasting over two hours. Uh, the vinyl version of the album contained three records, two extra songs and an alternative track listing. Um, the songs were intended to hang together conceptually uh, as a symbol of the cycle of life and death. Um, most definitely a concept album uh, praised by Time magazine as the group's most ambitious and accomplished work yet. Uh, Melancholy debuted at number one in the Billboard 200 in October 95. Even more successful than the last album, Siamese Dream, it was certified 10 times platinum in the United States and became the best-selling double album of the decade. Uh, um, They also won seven Grammy Award nominations, including Album of the Year, but they only won Best Hard Rock Performance, only one. I mean, they won Best Hard Rock Performance Award for the album's lead single, uh, Bullet With Butterfly Wings, which I shall play for you right now. So turn up the volume. The world is a vampire.
Charlotte with Butterfly Wings there by the Smashing Pumpkins from the album Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. So a year after the uh, the album was complete, um, I must add as well, those 56 songs I mentioned, they did kind of all get made, but um, all the songs that didn't make it to the album were put into a box set called the Aeroplane Flies High box set, if you want to try and download that. Uh, the set was originally limited to 200,000 copies only, but more were produced to meet the demand. So in 1996, the year after the album came out, they they um, well they went on a, an extended uh, world tour. Um, uh, Corgan's look during this period was a shaved head, a long sleeve black shirt with the word zero printed on it and silver pants became iconic, you know, because some people care about that kind of thing. Um, that year, the band also made a guest appearance on an episode of The Simpsons called Homer Palooza, um, which was on MTV all the time. Trust me. I mean, check it out. It's on YouTube. It's really funny. Um and major industry awards and zero shirts. The shirt that you wore on tour was started selling out in shopping malls. And the Pumpkins were considered one of the most popular bands of of the time. Um, but the year wasn't far was far from uh, entirely positive. Uh, in May, the Smashing Pumpkins played a gig at the Point Theatre in Dublin, Ireland. And despite the band's repeated requests for moshing to stop. Um, a 17-year-old fan named Bernadette O'Brien was crushed to death. Um, the concert ended early and the following night's performance in Belfast was cancelled out of respect for her. However, Corgan maintained that Moshing's time had come and gone. Uh, the band would continue to request open floor concerts throughout the rest of the tour. And the band suffered a personal tragedy uh, on the night of July, 6, July, July 11th, 1996, when uh, the touring uh, keyboard player Jonathan Melvoin and Jimmy Chamberlain uh, both overdosed on heroin in a hotel room in New York City. Um, Melvoin died and Chamberlain was arrested for drug possession. Um, a few days later, the band announced that Chamberlain had been fired as their drummer. Um, the Pumpkins chose to finish the tour and hire drummer Matt Walker and keyboardist Dennis Flemoyne. And Korga later said the decision to continue touring was the worst decision the band had ever made. It damaged their music and their reputation. Uh, Chamberlain admitted in a 1994 Rolling Stone cover story that in the past he'd gotten high in every city in this country and probably half the cities in Europe. But in recent years, he had reportedly been clean. On, on July 17th, the Pumpkins issued a statement which said, For nine years we have battled with Jimmy's struggles with the insidious disease of drug and alcohol addiction uh it's nearly destroyed ev everything we are and stand for uh we wish him the best we have to offer uh meanwhile the band had given interviews since the release of Mel melancholy uh, stating that it would be the last conventional pumpkins record and that rock was becoming stale uh james e has said at the end of 1996 the future is in electronic music uh it really seems boring just to play rock music um well, lovely. I'm going to play for you now uh, the next single. Um, this is called 1979. Um, this is an absolutely incredible uh, song. Check out the video as well. Check out the video for, for all of these songs I mentioned. There's some really iconic videos at the time for the mid-90s. Uh, mid I mean, for me, the mid-90s was the best time for all music, you know. Um, absolutely love the 90s for music. Uh, so, yeah, this is 1979. From Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness by the Smashing Pumpkins. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. 
1979 there by the Smashing Pumpkins by the, from the 1995 album Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness absolutely brilliant um, that's all we've got time for though for this this is the this has been the early years um, episode I'll be back with part two next week or if Sammy joins me we'll be doing something else but I will continue this series now uh, I'm going to leave you with another single from the album because come on I mean there's 28 songs on that, that album and I, I want to play every single one of them but I can't so I'm going to play at least uh, this next song this is another single the third single from the album this is called Zero um, I've been Brian Wells uh, Riff Monkeys podcast number 23 Mix 106 Costa del Sol thank you very much for listening and tune in next week next Tuesday 10 o'clock thank you very much and good night Just like me